What's the most valuable thing that you've ever traded? Think, think back. What, what is something that's been valuable that you have traded? Maybe a car or maybe you into baseball cards as a kid. But, but what, what is that thing? See, whether you realize or not, every day you're trading something valuable. And that valuable thing is your time. See, I think a lot of us, we, we, we kind of think of time as this, this thing that just kind of moves that, that we are a part of, but we don't realize the value that time has. Henry David Thoreau, the famous author, once said this about time. He said, the price of anything is the amount of life you exchange for it. Do you think about time like that? That whatever you do, whatever you trade your time for, you're actually exchanging part of your life. So think about the daily decisions you have to make. You are basically making a daily trade. Do I sleep in this morning? Do I get up and go to the gym? Do I take the time and make a really nice dinner with my kids and my my wife? Or do I grab something to go and work on the laptop and watch the game? Do I... Do I get up and, and know I have a really big day tomorrow? So do I go to bed now so I can get up earlier? Do I watch another nine episodes of Seinfeld, right? Like we, we each have a daily trade we have to make. And along with that trade of time, we're trading energy. We're trading our attention. Often we're trading our money. And have you ever asked yourself, with all the trades and exchanges we're doing on a day-to-day basis with our time, is it actually worth it? I know every uh, 10 years, the U.S. Census Bureau sends you guys a survey and you guys fill that out. You guys look forward to filling that out. I know it's always an exciting time. Well, the U.S. Census Bureau did a study using that data in 2022. They released it and it's called the American Time Use Survey. And and it's kind of small. Uh, You can't really see it that great, but I'll walk you through it. What they found was that if you look at the way we spend our time, right? The way we trade and exchange our time, 75% of your day is spent on the clock, working, taking care of family and friends, or sleeping, right? That's two or, or three quarters of your day. Another 5% is, is eating and, and drinking, right? So it's 5% of your, of your day. Depends on how much barbecue that you know, you're, you're eating might swing that one way or another. But that leaves 22% of your day, which sounds like a lot, for leisure and sports is what they call it, leisure and sports. So let's drill down a little bit. Okay, so out of that 20-ish percent of your day, how are you spending your time? Let's look at this next graph. Here's what it found. So out of that, that's about five hours a day. So out of that 22% of the day is right around five hours a day when you're not sleeping or on the clock. And so how do we use that time? Notice how it breaks down. It says that nearly three of that five hours we spend watching TV, right? Some of you guys are like, well, that's not nearly enough, right? Like I'm like, I'm a little higher, a little lower, but three, three hours. Um, if, if you look at the rest of the breakdown, we spend a one hour of our day playing games or messing around on the internet. About 20 minutes we're reading, about 20 minutes maybe we're relaxing, 20 minutes we're going to the gym. But I want to focus you on one right in the middle, socializing and communicating. Socializing and communicating, what is that? What's well, spending time with your family or spending time with your friends? or hanging out and playing with your kids, or, or, or whatever. We actually spend, on average, 0.56 hours a day connecting with those closest to us. Now, now 0.56, let's put that in, in terms of minutes. It's 33.6 minutes. So 34 minutes a day, 
Now, there's 1,440 minutes in your day, and you're spending roughly 34 of it connecting with the people closest to you. Now, now, I want you to think about this. I want you to just snapshot your life, snapshot your daily routines. Think about everything you do. Chances are, in your mind somewhere is the thought that everything I do has a contribution to me living my best life, to me being more energized and more focused and more engaged with those that I'm closest with. That's why I work hard. That's why I do go to the gym. That's why I try to eat healthy food. That's why I try to sleep well so I can have more time being engaged with my family. But yet we look at the way the numbers work out. And it seems to me like we're in a constant flow, a constant, uh, constant motion to where we're spending all of our time trying to do all these other things. And instead of being energized, engaged, and focused, we are tired, worn out, and frustrated. So I just have to wonder, is that just the way that life is supposed to be? Is really, is this what we get? We work hard, we get 34 minutes with our kids, 34 minutes with Courtney and the girls and the dog and all that. What if I told you, though, that there was one trade you could make, one seemingly simple trade you could make that could change that for you and for your family, but it involved being intentional to be present? Earlier this week, I was talking with a a buddy of mine, actually here with us today, Eric Enriquez and his wife, Melinda, and their kids, and they had recently went on an amazing trip. And so I was just kind of talking with Eric, learning more about their trip and invited them to, to join us today. Here's a picture of their family in front of the North Face in Switzerland. Uh, just beautiful, beautiful. Um, Eric was kind of sharing with me that, you know, they, they really, they, they understood, they felt this, this, this busyness of life, this constant motion, and they made a decision to do something about it. And so what they decided to do, which might be a little different than what you would decide to do, but it's to sell their house and to sell their cars and to travel with their family around the world. And it was really amazing following them on social media as they went around. I think it was 13 countries you guys were at. Uh, You guys circled the globe. Uh, You were in Europe and Asia, all of North America. Here's another picture. um, And this is in Macedonia, I believe. Isn't that gorgeous? Just imagine just hitting reset, traveling, and, and spending time. And one of the things that Eric shared with me was that as they spent this time traveling for months, living from Airbnb to Airbnb, hotel room to hotel room, renting cars and trains and riding on buses and um, all, all these different measures of transportation, was that they were able to tune out all of the things that distract us and make us busy and truly connect as a family. And we talked about just that sense of being present with those around you. And, you know, I, I know Eric was saying that as his kids get older, hopefully they hold on to these things. But I know Eric, for you and Melinda, it was just what an amazing experience to think about all of this time spent with those that you, are, you love and are close with, experiencing God's beauty around you, um, all of those things around the world. Talk about taking a, a, a trade, trading time for something as important as being present with those you love the most. Now, now I know what many of you are thinking the same thing that I was thinking when I loved following along and hitting like and love on your social posts was that I just can't do that right now, right? Like 
many of us might say, we may not be in a place right now where we can do that and we can circle the globe and we can spend time really with our family in that level. But I want you to know that there is something that every one of us can do in this room. And that is to make the point to be intentional, to be present. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Today, we're beginning a new Advent series called The Great Exchange. Advent, the word Advent just means the arrival. Somebody say arrival. So Advent means arrival. And so when we get to Advent around Christmas time, we are looking back to the arrival of Jesus, to when Jesus was born. And we're, we're also looking forward to when Jesus will return again someday. So we're, we're really nestled in the tension of the already but not yet, uh, of the in-between. And so I, I want us to spend some time looking at how Jesus has exchanged so much for us when he came that very first time on Christmas morning. And we're going to camp out in, in John chapter one, as, as we look at some of these beautiful exchanges Jesus made for us. So grab your Bibles if you have them, or pull out your phones and turn to John 1, 1. You know, if I was going to spend, you know, as, as Darren kind of said earlier, Luke 2 is often where we go if we're going to spend time in our Bibles around the Christmas story. Uh, Troy recently read Matthew 1. I love John 1, 1. It's not one that you're always going to necessarily see on a Christmas card, but if you dive into this chapter, it's so rich and so beautiful. I want you to notice what John writes about Jesus in John 1, 1. He says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then look at verse 14. It says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I want you to notice what John says here, that Jesus... He traded heaven. He traded heaven and all of its glory, all of its beauty, all of its splendor, and he traded it for here. He traded it so he could come and he could live here on earth with us. Now, I want you to just think about that for a moment. Think of the most beautiful place you've ever lived. Jesus traded heaven for here. Notice Jonas. Notice verse one again, it says this, it says, in, in the when, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. I want you to notice something. If you have your Bibles and you have a highlighter or a pen, I want you just to highlight that word, word. Notice there's a capital W on the word that actually the word for this logos. And it's saying this, that Jesus is the word of, of God. Now to the ancients, what that, that idea meant that it was God himself. So if you were an ancient reader, you read that Jesus was the, the word of God, capital W, would clear that meant that we were talking about Jesus being God himself. John is communicating something really unique about Jesus. And I don't want you to miss this. He says that Jesus is the word, the voice of God, the, the one who, who speaks God, who speaks and God who creates. He says that in the beginning, Jesus made everything. Well, think back to Genesis 1, if you know Genesis 1. How did, how did um, God create? He spoke said, let there be, and there was. And so, you know, John is telling us something about Jesus that we can't miss when we think about Advent and the Christmas story. 
is that Jesus was in the beginning with God. That means as he is eternal and that he was with God, meaning that Jesus was a distinct person. Don't miss this. Jesus is saying, John is saying that Jesus and, and God, the father, are two distinct people, two distinct persons, both found in e- eternity past, both involved in our lives, and that Jesus is the son of God, the word of God. One of the, the struggles, I think, one of the hurdles that we face with, with the Christmas story sometimes, and I think one of the, the hurdles and struggles that we, f- we face with, with faith is just this idea that Jesus is more than a man. I mean, I think if you look at our culture, if you read books and you talk to people who, who maybe don't have much experience with church, they'll tell you they're fine with the idea that Jesus was a great teacher, that Jesus was a moral man, that Jesus even had these special things that, that he did. But you start to talk about Jesus being divine. You start to talk about Jesus being the son of God who, who existed previously in heaven. And that is just really difficult to get our minds around. And, and it's because of that, that a lot of people have tried to work around that. You know, if you meet somebody who say Jehovah's Witness or Mormon, you know, and, and, you, and you, you talk to them, they, they believe that they believe the same thing that a Christian believes. But yet if you open up their book, it will tell you that Jesus was created. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was the first thing created. Uh, Latter-day Saints, the Mormons believe that Jesus was actually the son of Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. And so people try to work around this idea that Jesus is this divine son of God that previously existed in heaven. But what we see John telling us right here is just pretty, pretty clear that Jesus is eternal. That he existed in a timeless eternity with God as part of what the Bible calls the Trinity. Somebody say Trinity. We, we, see, we don't ever see the word the Trinity, but you see... Father, you see Jesus, the Son, and you do see the the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, but one God. And so Jesus is, John is really trying to help us to see that Jesus isn't just some man with special powers that came. He's not an avenger. Jesus isn't one who was anointed by by some, some mystical art. Jesus literally is the Son of God. And it says this in verse 14. Notice this. It says, and the word the Son, Jesus, the eternal God who spoke everything into existence, became flesh, and, and what, church? Dwelt. He dwelt among us. And that it says that because of this, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, Son of the Father, or as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What, what is God saying with this? I, I think it's this, that Jesus traded heaven and earth to reveal God to us. Like, you want to know, what's the Christmas story about? Like, what is Advent about? Why do we celebrate this idea that Jesus arrived, right? There's so many, there's so many other things we can talk about right now. But, it, but John is really trying to draw us this truth that Jesus traded heaven for earth so that he could reveal God to us. That's what John 1.14 says, that Jesus came, he, he lived among us, he took on skin, you know, con carne, right? Anybody like... Uh, like Mexican food, con carne with meat. Jesus took on flesh, con carne, and lived and dwelt among us. Why? So that he could show us the glory of, of God. He could reveal God to us. Before the girls were born, Courtney and I, uh, we went to, to Disney World. Courtney's company sent her to Disney World for an uh, a annual meeting, and so I tagged along, and uh, we stayed at Ma- Main Street USA down on the boardwalk. I don't know if you guys have been here. Here's a picture. 
Um, it's actually Disneyland and Disney World modeled Main Street USA after Marceline, Missouri, which is like three hours from where I grew up. That's where Walt Disney grew up. That's right. That's right. So, um, but if you walk, you're cool. It's cool. It looks like the old, old streets of Marceline. So if Walt Disney, you know, whenever they draw, warm him up and get him back walking again, you guys know what I'm talking about? He's like cryogenically frozen. Did you guys know that? Walt Disney, cryogenically frozen. He's like demolition man, like, like, uh, John Spartan. Anyways. So, uh, whenever Walt walks the street again, if he does, which I don't think he will, but if he does, he's going to like take nostalgia in, right? He's back in Marceline where he was when he was a kid. Jesus in John 1 14 came and dwelt among us, but it wasn't so he could take in the nostalgia of what he created. It wasn't like Walt Disney walking down Main Street USA. Instead, it was like Walt Disney buying a, a duplex in the toughest neighborhood in LA right down the road from Disneyland. Like Jesus moved in to a difficult spot in a difficult time so that he could reveal God to us. He could reveal grace and truth to us. Jesus was always present. I mean, verse three says that Jesus made everything that was made. And in Genesis chapter one, Jesus says that it was good, that he made, he made water and he made sky and he made ground, and he made mountains and he made you. And he says that it was good. Somebody say tov. It's the Hebrew word for good. So Jesus didn't need to come back and make sure it was okay. Jesus came back for another reason. He literally moved into the toughest neighborhood in the world so that he could show God to us. He could reveal God's glory to us and to reveal God's heart to us so he could have a relationship with us. So many good, verse, good verses and good words in John 1. Uh, another one here I love in John 1, 14 is the word dwelt. You guys said that again. Somebody say that again, dwelt. The word dwelt means to tent, to pitch your tent, or it means tented. So Jesus came and he tented among us. Uh, it also could be said that Jesus tabernacled among us. And Darren kind of hinted to this a little earlier, that Jesus came and he, and he tabernacled among us. Here's a picture of the tabernacle. If you guys remember, some of you guys might remember our greater story series. We talked about the children of Israel and and the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. God rose up a man named Moses to help them be let go of slavery. They crossed the Red Sea and they moved toward in the wilderness towards a place called the promised land. Well, while they're in the wilderness, Moses was given God's law. And you can read about it in the first five books of, of the Bible. Moses was given God's law. And a part of that, he was told to build the tabernacle, that's this big tent. And this tabernacle, if you get, some of you guys might remember this, this was the place where God's presence would dwell. So God would dwell with his people in this tabernacle. And so if you walked outside during the night, you would see the presence of God in, in, in a pillar of fire. If you walked out during the day, you could see the presence of God in a cloud. And it was to let God's people know that he was, he was there, that, that God was present that God dwelled with his people. And this is where the high priest would go, if you remember some of that, where he would go make offerings and sacrifices and burn incense and all these Old Testament things. And this is where God would be found and would be seen. And so the children of Israel would see God's glory in this tabernacle. So, so Jesus, or John is telling us something really important about Jesus. Go back to John 1, 14. And it says, when the word, when Jesus became flesh and he dwelt among us, We have seen his glory. Where else do we see God's glory? The tabernacle. We have seen his glory 
glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John is saying that Jesus came and he tabernacled among us. Some of you have heard this before. That Jesus came and he, he tabernacled among us. Jesus became that picture of God's dwelling place with you. He became the picture of God's presence. That Jesus left heaven and he came to this earth and he revealed God's glory to us. And we see, we don't have to look to the tabernacle to see fire or to see a cloud or have a priest go into the Holy of Holies. We can look to Jesus and see that Jesus truly is the glory of God. Later on in John, it says that Jesus is the one and only son who reveals God the Father to us. One time Jesus' disciples asked him, they said, hey, just show us God and we'll be fine. Show us God the Father and we'll be fine. Jesus goes, dude, you've been walking with me for three, for three years. Have you seen me? Yeah then you've seen my father. And so Jesus is telling, John is telling us here about Jesus. When we see Jesus, you see a picture of your heavenly father. I don't know about you, but I have had these times in my life where I've prayed and I've, I've asked this question, God, where are you? Anybody ever asked that question? Anybody ever asked that question this week, right? God, where are you? And God, reveal yourself to me. Like sometimes my prayer literally has been open up the Bible and be like, God, please reveal yourself to me. Tell me who you are. I want you to become more real and and more real. And I want to experience this with you, God. Tell me where you are and show yourself to me. And I think one of the things that Jesus wants us to see in Advent church is that Jesus says, I am here. I have showed you because I came at Advent. Christmas. I think Jesus wants us to see here that he stepped out of heaven to bring God's presence near. You know, where is God? Where is Jesus? He's near. He came and he brought his presence near and he did that that very first Christmas. One of the really cool things you see in Exodus chapter 38 there's a lot of cool things in Exodus, but really cool Exodus 38. Talking about this tabernacle is this. Um, verse 38 says this, For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. And so throughout the journey of life, as Israel moved from place to place, as they moved through the wilderness, moving towards the promised land, if you guys remember that story, there was this symbol, this brilliance of God's presence in the cloud and in the fi- pillar of fire. And, and for some of us, I think we can go, well, man, I wish I had that. Like, I, I, I think a lot of us go through these moments where we say, just, God, I wish we could just see you. I, I can't, why can't I have a, a cloud right now? I can't have a pillar of fire right now, God. Why can't you put some smoke screen in the sky and tell me that you're here and what you want me to do? And I think God is saying through Christmas, that's why we spend four weeks talking about it, is he's saying, I have done all those things. It is found in looking at me and spending time with me because I came to bring my presence near. Somebody say presence. This idea of being close, being near. And Jesus invites us to be near and, and close to him. So this is what John is saying here. Verse four. Don't miss this. This is cool. He says this in four, that in him, in who? In who? We're going to work on that still. Got some more work to do. And in, in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the dark had not overcome it. The word overcome means comprehend. Like the darkness can't comprehend it. It can't push it back. It can't stop it. I've told you guys before, walk out tonight when it's dark and open your door. What's going to happen is the darkness going to come in your room. 
Now the light's gonna invade the darkness. That's what Jesus did. When Jesus came, he brought the light. Now notice this, this is cool. Go, can we put verse four back up? Notice this, it says that in him was life. Now that means that Jesus is basically, it's saying that Jesus is the principle of life. The word is zoe, the, the principle of life, the power that creates life, that maintains life, that is found in Jesus. And then notice what it says next. It says that Jesus was the life and that life was the what? Light. That that life was the light. That the life that is found in Jesus is light. So, so notice John's, John's um, thinking here. So without Jesus, that we are dead and that we are dark. Like if you do not have the light of Jesus inside your life, that you are walking in darkness and that you are spiritually dead. You look at the world and you go, man, why is this world such a mess? That's why, Right? Like sometimes as Christians, we're like, I, I can't believe they act that way. Really? Like, have you seen the way you act? Right? Like, yeah, preach it, right? I mean, seriously, like, you know, the, the fact is that we are all in process somewhere that God is moving in our lives. And thank God I'm not who I once was. Amen. But I know I have a long way to go. But we look at the world and we see that why is the world such a mess? It's because people are living in darkness and they're spiritually dead. But Jesus in him is life. And that life is light. And I want you to follow what John is getting at here. So if you know Jesus, if you've said yes to Jesus in this room and you're a believer, it means that the spirit of God has awoken your spirit, that you now have life. You are no longer dead. And you have the light of Jesus living inside of you, meaning God's presence is here. So in us is life and in us is light, meaning that the presence of God now lives within you. You do not have to look for a tabernacle with a cloud or a pillar of fire. You do not have to look towards some temple. You do not have to look towards anything. If you know Jesus and Jesus' spirit is in you, you have the presence of God inside of you. Isn't that amazing? I mean, seriously, could there be a better present than to have God's presence in our lives? I don't think there could be. So you never have to wonder where God is. God, did I mess up? God, did I sin? And did I, did I do something to stray from, from your will? God, did, did, I, 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 did I, I, I sin and, uh, man, you've turned your back from me? God's presence is always with you. No matter how good you feel, no matter how bad you feel, no matter how much you've read your Bible, no matter how much you've prayed, no matter how many times you've done a good deed, no matter how many times you haven't, God's presence is in you. So you never have to wonder where he is because he is right there. And this is the promise of Advent. I think Darren said it earlier, 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah came and said, God is going to send you a sign kind of a double fulfillment. We can talk about that later, but I'm going to send you a sign. The virgin will bear a son and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And then that night where the angel comes to Joseph and Joseph's going to, going to leave Mary because she thinks she's been cheating. And the angel comes to Mary, Joseph and says, look, it's the Holy Spirit. I want you to take care of your wife. And then when Jesus is born, I want you to name him. Jesus, because he's going to be Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God's promises are true. We just have to look for him and we have to see him. And you, and you might be here wondering, okay, I get this idea that if I know Jesus, that now I have God's presence inside of me, but I just want to say, I just don't feel it. 
Anybody ever felt that way? Like, I just don't feel like God's close. Like, what's up with that? Like, God, you feel so far away. I get this idea that your presence is with me, but how come I just don't have this feeling or this experience or this warm and fuzzy? And there could be a lot of reasons for, for that. Could it be sin? It could be. Could be that we have some sin that we're just wrestling with and we haven't recognized, we haven't confessed yet, and it's just blocking our communication with God. It could be that we're just too tired. It could be that we're just exhausted. It could be that we're too busy. It could be that we got too much going on. It could be that we're we're, we're just overcommitted. It could be that some of us are walking through what the, the Bible kind of refers to as the dark night of the soul, which is where God will actually use a moment to kind of pull back just a little bit from us to make us feel that distance because in that dark night of the soul, he wants to teach us something. He wants us to lead us closer, to to lean in and feel his presence further. But here's the reality. None of this changes the fact that he is with us. Let me say that. He is with us. And that's what John 1, 1 is trying to tell us. And if you are walking through one of those dark nights of the soul right now, or you're walking through a moment where you're just carrying a lot in, we know Christmas is hard, right? Lots of memories, lots of experiences, lots of difficulties. And you bring some of that in with you. I want you to know that it's in the darkness where you can see the light shine the brightest. Two years ago, my dad and I went out to Arches, went out there and at night we drove out, went out and climbed up to where we could see Delicate Arch. I didn't take this picture, by the way. Climb up where we can um, see Delicate Arch and just the stars. Anybody seen that before? You guys been out there at night to see arches? If you haven't, you gotta go. It's like five hours from here. But the stars, ever turned a flashlight? Anybody have a mag light, like a really good flashlight? You ever turn that on and it's pitch black? Man, that thing brightens up the room. Like if you're walking through a dark moment right now, it's often in the darkness that God's light will shine the brightest as we pursue his presence. And so I hope, one of the, one of the hopes I take, I hope you take away from this is that, that Jesus is promising to us that we can have this sense of his presence in our lives. That we might not have this feeling, we might not always have this feeling, we might not always have this warm and fuzzy. It might not always feel like God is there, but he wants us to begin to cultivate this reality that God's presence is near always. Right before Jesus left his disciples, he, he kind of told them this, this mission he put them on, the great commission, the same one that you and I are on. And he says, look, I want you to live out your faith. I want you to, to live it out. I want you to make disciples. And then notice what he said in Matthew 28, 20, he says, and behold, look, listen, I am with you always. How often church? Always to the end of the age. Jesus wants you to build your life on the reality of his presence. Jesus doesn't want you to try to build your life on the warm and fuzzies. Jesus doesn't want you to try to build your life on some experience. He wants you to build your life on the reality of God's presence. This is where he wants you to focus your mind and your your heart, your your attention, your, your energy. He wants you to trade your time to build it on this reality, not just seeking the feeling of it. So, so how do we do this? What means we have to make a trade? We have to cultivate God's presence in our life, which means we have to make a trade. I shared with you a little earlier, uh, my buddy Eric and, and Melinda and their trip. 
Here's a picture of them in the UK, spending time with some, some friends. And, and this week was awesome as we were visiting about their trip and their experiences and all the beautiful places they went. One of the things that, that Eric shared was that the, the time they spent together in the presence of their family was so beautiful and so rich. And it, it was, it was a, an experience of a lifetime that they want to continue to cultivate. But he said it was, it was, there was a difficulty really in spending time in God's presence in a way because they weren't with their church family. That they could, they could go to church, that they could open their Bibles, they could spend time together, which is really good. But that Eric mentioned that they missed time with God's people. Being in God's presence with God's people. And I love that because it stood out to me that no matter how much we, we, we seek to be in, uh, in an environment where we slow down or we turn off our phones, or we're not as busy, there is this element that's deep inside of us that says that as believers, as people who've said yes to Jesus, we need to spend time in the presence of God with God's people. And so how do we do that? How do we cultivate that experience? You know, I've got a, a, just a couple of thoughts here as we kind of move into this, this Advent season, these next four weeks. Here's where I really want to challenge you guys to, to lean in and to seek to be present with God and to seek to be present with God's people. And the first, time, first one is that we just have to be fully present ourselves. And, and that means that we've just got to get quiet. We've got to turn our phones off sometime. We have to slow down the busyness sometimes. And we have to just seek to be present, to seek to be present with our thoughts. When is the last time you were bored? Being bored is a really good thing. But we need to, to seek to turn off the distractions so we can be present with God. Dallas Willard says that hurry is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life. You need time and space. So we have to slow down. We have to get quiet. We have to remove the distractions so we can be in the presence of God. But we have to, before we do that, we have to be fully present ourselves. Which sometimes means we've got to be alone with our thoughts. Secondly, is this idea that we need to be fully in his presence. And, and that's this, this idea that, that we actually need to seek to spend time with him. If we're spending 34 minutes a day with our family and with our friends, how much time are we spending with God? I think a lot of us, we, we, we maybe want to try to check that box and say we did our study or we, we read the verses for that day, but are we spending time seeking to be in his presence? And to do that, you have to prepare yourself for that. You know, the, the, the New Testament talks about the fact that we are God's temple. Not really that your body, you are God's temple, but we, this body is God's temple. God dwells in, with his people. And his people are his church. And that doesn't mean we have to be in this building, but this is a place that we gather to do that. So for us, as we walk in these rooms of church, you need to be in a place with God's people where you can sense God's presence. And forefront, that's where we want this place to be for you, God's people together, his church, his temple, his presence. And thirdly, it's this, that we need to be fully satisfied. So often we, we, we do these things, but we seek satisfaction in, in all these other things, all these other entertainment things that we think can fill our cup, whether it's, it's watching a show or it's scrolling through social media or it's doing this or that. But this idea of, of being fully satisfied is asking God to, to be what we need. It's this recognition, this hard attitude, prayer, perfectly asking God to make us satisfied in him. 
And I believe there's this beautiful promise that as we are fully present, as we fully present ourselves in his presence, and we ask God to make us fully satisfied with him, then we will experience, but more than experience, we will know that we are standing in the presence of God. Two challenges as we leave today and as you go through your month is first, I'm preaching to the choir here, but make a commitment to be at church this week with your family. Make a commitment every Sunday in December and on Christmas Eve to spend time with God's people seeking to be in God's presence. And on your way in, pray, ask God, God, give me a heart to quiet my phone, to, to not listen to, or let my mind drift, but to be present with you and God's people in worship and in hearing the word on Sundays. And the second one is this. What, what if I told you that an hour a day that, that spending an hour a day, maybe not even an hour, in the presence of God, in the presence of those close to you with your family and friends could change your life. Would you do it? The book of John has 21 chapters. Today's December 3rd. So if my math is right, if you start today, Christmas Eve, you'll finish the book of John. I'd encourage you to carve out time every day, starting today, and be in the book of John reading a chapter with your family or with a friend, or call up a buddy if you live by yourself and read that chapter together and then just spend a few moments sitting in the silence of meditating on God's word, praying together. Because in those moments where we are fully present and we're seeking God's presence, that we can be assured that God's presence is with us. This is the great promise of Advent. And I'm excited to see how God's presence can draw us near, that we can be reminded that he is here always. So forefront, let's journey together this Advent season and seek God's presence in our lives together. Would you pray with me?